So, I'm reading a book. Well, I'm reading a bunch of books for this podcast, like a lot of books and growing. Uh, one of the main ones is called The Story of Philosophy by Will Durant. Will Durant is famous for writing narrative, readable books out of large swaths of history. He and his wife, uh, Ariel Durant, received a Pulitzer Prize for their series, The Story of Civilization, which is 11 volumes, a whole, like, huge thing Um, i'm now also slowly collecting those oops uh (laughs) i've got the first two somewhere uh the podcast is really doing a number on my used book library you guys (laughs) (laughs) um anyway in one sense we're just defining terms here right i'm trying to build us a working definition of vocabulary as i mean it will eventually define things like existentialism liberalism rationalism and empiricism fascism postmodernism Uh, Durant says in The Story of Philosophy, for nothing is so difficult as definition, nor anything so severe a test and exercise of mental clarity and skill. He's actually talking here about the Socratic method. Examining carefully enough what we mean by any term becomes a type of philosophy, like Socrates did. So I want to rigorously analyze all of the terms Following the history of philosophy as our narrative through line just seems like a good way to make sure we don't miss anything. Uh, obviously, which terms? What the all of the all. terms? <laughs> how how many terms? All, all of the oh. terms. Um, Damn. Obviously, we'll get into Socrates when we get into Socrates. But in many ways, this is the meat of the Socratic method. <clears throat> cool, Thrasymachus. But like, what do you mean when you say justice? <laughs> that's basically all socrates was doing so and so like get so and so talking about shit and then call him define the thing you just said right like he he asked thrasymachus questions about justice thrasymachus starts throwing out a hot take at the end of that big like you know proud hot take he goes okay cool so like wait you ju- define justice specifically <laughs> right and like <laughs> yeah uh so it sounds simple right but we'll see the definitions are complicated and they get complicated like fuck we're living it right now this is a pretty shitty way to define vocabulary right <laughs> we're doing it mm-hmm. this is it right here uh definitions are a hard project uh like socrates's philosophical conversations sometimes you have to walk backwards a bunch of steps before you can start to go forwards that's what's wrong with the intro it's also why we need to engage in the project of social and cultural deconstruction in the first place that's why we need to think about these things gotta walk it back make sure you define all the things so for our purposes defining terms and establishing context means i think starting with the story of western political and social philosophy so we have to talk about western civilization western philosophy western thought etc um we're gonna attempt yeah we're gonna attempt to approach that with as much self-awareness as we can like what what is what does that any of that even mean like complicated right because like a lot of nationalism and fascism kind of hides under the guise of like reverence for the western tradition so i like mm-hmm. I, it makes sense in my mind to like meet that approach head on right like if like if someone's gonna say like you don't understand western tradition well here's my here's my podcast here's 100 hours of me reading western <laughs> classics you sure <laughs> uh and then secondly um we want to we want to make sure to acknowledge that like 
talking about Western anything is a very narrow structuralist take and it doesn't do justice to reality, right? Reality is plural. That's one, like, that's uh, a, a narrative to explain the way that... I'm going to let that go by. Can you guys yeah. hear it? Yeah. I can still hear it. Um, for our purposes... Where it feels like it's doing donuts, man. It's like circling my block. <laughs> yeah, I heard it come around. Yeah, it's like going around. It's a nationalist ambulance. Nationalist ambulance, just hanging out. He wants to stop police. He wants to stop you from uh, democratizing words, <laughs> vocabulary. Dog, I like you know they they passed that. Yo, they passed that fucking FBI thing. If you, you like, there's no no warrants needed to like track your online stuff anymore. I am for fucking sure on a list. I have so much like post-Marxist stuff that I just bought. It's weird to think that like just because of the books I'm buying, I'm definitely on a list somewhere. Oh, well. Not near the top. I'm not high on the list, but I'm on it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'm way down at the bottom for now. (laughs) We'll fix that. If you're on a list, man, if you're on a list, I'm on like an assassination list and like you won't see me tomorrow. If it's any consolation, they were already tracking you. Now they're just like a little bit more honest about it. Wait, which of of us? All of us. All of us. We're talking about Western philosophy, which is a, or Western civilization, which is a problem, right? We're gonna like we're gonna deal with the classics head on, and when like if any fascists try to like call me out for being a feminist, I'll say, "Look, I read Plato. Fuck off." Um, <clears throat> and secondly, and that'll get them. That'll get them. Yeah, I, I want to try to not forget that. Like, yeah, we're talking about like the Western canon, but also that that's a convenient fiction, right? That's like a it's a it's a shortcut to like try to understand history, and that's not the like it's not the real story. Reality is messy. That's like a clean story to understand. So if we continue to remind ourselves about that and we like acknowledge that the that idea, that term, that concept, that word, right, that sign is uh, is necessary. Right? It's necessary for our conversation, but it's also insufficient. Right, the word is not good enough, but we have to use it anyway. So we use it under erasure. That's like another another like probably should have been a bold term but like to talk about something under erasure is the acknowledgement that like this is not a this is a problematic concept but we have to use it to get where we're going anyway so we use it under erasure um like the end goal is like if we talk about this good enough eventually we won't have to use Mm -hmm. this word anymore (laughs) let's see so talking about western anything is exactly the kind of like contentious ideological minefield that demands a neurotic attention to detail with regards to defining terms the whole thing is a weighted idea. It's an identity. So we drag the word out in the open specifically because the end goal is to talk critically about the kinds of damage that one can do while saying Western civilization or the damage we can do by talking only about, quote, Western thought. Uh, to answer the question that I hope would be asked next, I will try to do my best to cover the whole world. Um, the main target of our deconstruction will be, quote, Western thought. It's that's like our responsibility to deal with with first. Like, I don't want to try to fix anyone else until my own house is in order. Right. If we want to critique mm-hmm. Western civilization, we got to understand Western civilization. So we got to study the history of Western civilization. It's a messy thing, but it's, you know, we got we got to do it right. Insufficient, but necessary. Um, so 
to study it, right? Not just like talk about it, but to study it, right? Study in good faith. Um, and as my former college roommates can probably attest, I personally am notoriously not great at quote studying. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about it? I wouldn't know. I never saw you do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's so good. You never even see it. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's why the last podcast wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. Cause I like, I didn't, I didn't, didn't come up with a structure. So I realized that, like I personally need some kind of a structure, some kind of a tool to help me do a good job studying. And I realized this podcast is a tool to help me do a better job studying. Um, so heuristic noun, a heuristic is a heuristic process or method. Okay. On to the next one. Nice. Um, nice. So good job. <laughs> Wait a second. That's okay. All right. All right. Um, heuristic adjective, <clears throat> enabling mm. a person to discover or learn something for themselves. Sorry guys. Yeah. I almost missed that one. Um, so the word heuristic has different definitions in different fields and in different industries before we explore the way that I mean to use it. Um, do you guys ever use that in any of your industries? You guys use heuristic? I thought maybe you yeah. might in, in your engineering. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, so, it, so, it has a similar feel to the word like metric, mm-hmm, like, yeah. a, like a measurement or a quality of something that you want to mm-hmm. have explicitly put there so you can look at it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. To me, it is a... Uh, it is an approximation. It is a useful approximation of reality, basically. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, a, like, if yeah. you want to, if you want to model something, say you have a some scenario, and uh, you basically you come up with a, a heuristic that roughly approximates uh, it from a maybe a simpler perspective. Fuck yeah! Yes, B- both yeah, of you guys I think are that's correct. Probably better, more what it really is. No, you guys mm-hmm. are both correct. Here's the thing is it gets used lots of different ways. It means lots of different things in different industries. Yeah. And it, like it, it, it does like cover the whole spectrum between both of those things you guys said. Nestor, do you ever use the word heuristic in your, in your world? I make tents. <laughs> <laughs> you guys must have like a mental model of the space you're working in before you show up there. Right. Do you not like, do you, do you 3d model anything or do you like you draw, you graph stuff? Yeah, no, definitely, but we don't. That, I, mean, I don't. That's a I don't heuristic. That would be oh, a, like that. That's a heuristic device. Totally. A heuristic would be like you know, like I don't know, like yeah, I don't know. Okay, wait. Here, okay, wait, let me let me give you what, what I got. I, I wrote a couple things about this. Fittingly, the word heuristic, like the story we're outlining, starts with the ancient Greek. Comes from Eurisco. Close enough, right? Sounds like a cookie. Uh, which, which means, which means, I'm sure that sounds in, in ancient Greek, means I happen upon by chance, or I find, or I find out, or I discover, or I acquire, or fetch, or I obtain. Um, so a heuristic tool or heuristic device is a construct to better our odds of happening upon, or discovering, or acquiring knowledge or understanding. What I mean for our purposes is that the podcast itself has become a tool to help me learn and do philosophy. Um, Y'all are keeping me honest. Having these discussions at all, recording them to be shared and stored, the accountability that I feel in that light, those are all constructs that will help me understand philosophy better, which should hopefully in turn help you guys and then 
any hypothetical audience also understand better. Uh, more specifically to philosophy, the term heuristic is also used to describe rules of thumb, procedures, or methods, as well as when we craft one imaginary tool or concept or construct to better understand another thing, concept, or entity. For example, mental models like microcosms, stories, elaborate metaphors, etc. can also be termed heuristic in that sense. A classic example is the utopia of Plato's Republic. This is sort of a funny example as it raises some other questions or poses some assumptions that we'll dig into eventually. But it's true that Plato uses his Republic as a metaphor or model for the individual, as well as as a through line for thought experiments about civics and society and governance. Right, like he he talks uh, he talks about how a city should work, and then extrapolates from there to talk about like human ethics and about like the way that someone should live their life. He's using he's using an imaginary city as a mental model to come up with understanding to then apply back to like human life. That is also a heuristic, right? Like Nicola, in the way that you were talking, that it's like a a construct to understand something else better, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just like a really squishy like version of that. It's like starting with the end goal and then going down from there because there's things that need to happen to get to that end goal, kind of. Like, we're just going backwards from the end result that he hmm. wants. So, like, I would say that a lot of argument from analogy is circular in that way, but that's not, like, a necessary part of what we're talking... Like, Nicola, could you give an example of what you mean, like, in your work? What would be, like, a, a construct that you would, like, invent to better understand a system? So, uh, yeah, let's... um. So an idea like a, a heuristic might be, for example, um, so say we are trying to decide when to like a red, red a light and we need to make a left turn and, uh, and there's like oncoming traffic and there's pedestrians and stuff like that. And so we might need to come up with like a heuristic that says when based on some traffic conditions, when is it okay to like execute that left turn? So you're basically, you're not trying to like derive, you know, the, the kinematic solution that comes up with the ideal, you know, whatever. You're just saying like, okay, is there, you know, an oncoming car within some meters? Is there a pedestrian in the crosswalk? Is there, you know, is the light green? Okay, cool, go. And like, that would be like a heuristic that says, you know, that's trying to approximate the decision of, is it okay to go or not? So it's like a it's like a shorthand, like a, a mini model of like the larger like logic that you're trying to teach the car, right? You're like, okay, in this situation, what are the actual relevant bits of the like the big picture? And let's just give it this little like thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, Nestor, what you're what you're saying is a really good point, but it's kind of like because you're a hundred percent right about the way that those things play out, especially in ancient history. But like just the idea of using one thing as a model to help you understand something else. Um, God, I wish I could come up with a better example, but like th- that, like the way that a lot of the ancient philosophers talk about like the cosmos, right? They talk about like the way that the universe works, and then they talk about man as a microcosm, right? A small version of the cosmos. So they talk about like this is what soul means. Here's the way that physics works. Here's the way that the stars move, and that explain that justifies the soul. The human is like a little version of the universe, so that means right. like the soul must also work the same way in the little person. Does that, does that explain better? And like, you're yeah, right that that's, yeah. it's like not, it, it, it's not like necessarily good reasoning, right? It's not necessarily right. good, like a good argument, but it is, it is like deductive logic, I think. Um.
let's go a little deeper. Uh, the podcast is a couple different types of heuristics, actually, um, or it's a heuristic on a couple different levels, maybe. So like we were talking about externally, um, the show is a container and like a record for uh, my personal review of philosophy for posterity. And it's a, also a social obligation to like fuel that hard work, right? It's a, a project I want to leave behind. That thing is a, is a heuristic. Like the fact that I have this desire to leave it behind is a tool to like force me, right? It's a, it is a, a, a construct and a container to like keep me doing my reading essentially. Um, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> the show is a structure, right? For me to go back rigorously through the political, philosophical history. And then, okay, the other way that it's a heuristic um, internally, right? That's all external. Like the, the fact that it is a thing to make me do my work is a heuristic in a sense, but internally it's also a heuristic in that it is a dialogue, right? I said before we we're performing a dialogue, um, a literal dialogue, a conversation in the tradition of Plato, right? Like Plato wrote most of his, what we have uh, left of Plato is mostly written in dialogue. They're discussions between characters. Um, dialogue is an idea which deserves treatment as a tool on its own, it also deserves treatment as its own keyword or term or whatever. So <clears throat> dialogue, n noun, I guess. Uh, a dialogue is a tool, a heuristic device, because a dialogue is more than just the sum of two or three or four or whatever monologues, right? It's not the same thing as just one person saying their ideas. A dialogue is a dialectic. It forces ideas to work together, right? So you get more than the sum of its parts. Um, see, the podcast itself is literally a dialogue in the classical sense and doing it that way makes it a more rigorous tool than my research alone ever could be. One of the reasons that we find Plato so compelling still is that his works are, compared to what fragments we have from other ancient philosophers, surprisingly readable. Many of his predecessors still wrote verse. Uh, his contemporaries were exploring the exciting new world of written prose, but Plato was out here writing full-on dialogues. He wrote his philosophical texts into scenes, plays, essentially, that explore different sides of an issue. Um, so we like to read dialogues partly because they can naturally explore ideas, um, in a multifaceted way, but also because we relate to it, right? Because it's the way that we communicate in real life. We actually, like, there's an exchange, right? It's not monologuing back and forth, hopefully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. Good, good conversation is not just two competing monologues. Um, so, uh, there's a funny thing about that. See, Plato probably chose to write this way because he had been a promising poet and a playwright in his youth. But wow. we have reason to believe that he also actually recorded his academic lectures, right? He had a school. We talked about this. He taught philosophy as a full-time teacher for, like, the majority of his life. But the lectures are all lost to time. Like, Aristotle, we have all of his, like, his scholarly work, right? But Plato, we have none of it. All we have are the pop philosophy. All we have are his outlines. All we have, uh, we don't have the texts, ju just the outlines, just the fun stuff. So, uh, outline noun i guess actually before i do that any any questions about dialogue it's pretty pretty clear cut we'll get into like dialectics later that's maybe no, more I, relevant just plato's the homie i mean like yeah it's chilling yeah it's it's like it's an interesting and we'll talk a lot about about like what's recorded and what's not recorded and like who recorded what like that's kind of the meat of the whole fucking show but yeah um let's see outlines so I only bought Durant's The Story of Philosophy after first having excitedly picked up a copy of Bertrand Russell's The History of Western Philosophy. Uh, Russell was a name that I recognized from my days as a young, quote, militant atheist. <laughs> and I figured, yeah, he's an empiricist. I can trust him. Um, 
do you, you guys remember Bertrand Russell from mm-hmm. like being nerdy atheist? Mm-hmm. Do, do you know his like what he's famous for? He's got one. Remind like, me, please. Yeah, he has one like uh, argument that like is the reason that I knew him. So um, people talk about Russell's teapot, right? Mm, that's right. That's Matt right. Nicola, you guys remember that one? The like, oh. what is the? It basically, I think it boils down to essentially like extraordinary claims. It boils down. <laughs> teapot. Oh, shit. <laughs> yes, that was accidental. Ah, oh, natural. Um, so the, like the idea is that like if someone were to claim that there was a teapot, uh, like orbiting a planet farther out in the solar, sp- I'm probably getting this wrong. Someone's gonna, someone's gonna. No, I think that's awesome. about right. Yeah, but yeah, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Tesla. Yeah. It's a Tesla. It's a Tesla. You not would, a teapot. You would <laughs> need. You would need like extraordinary. <laughs> I didn't even hear what you said, Nestor. What'd you say? It's a Tesla, not a teapot. Oh fuck! Yeah. It's a roadster. Yeah. <laughs> Russell's Tesla. He probably would be a big fan of Elon Musk. Actually, I think, I think he would be. I think they would be like this. <laughs> yeah. The idea is just that like you'd need a lot of evidence to like believe that there was a giant teapot or orbiting a you know a planet farther out in the solar system, right? Like extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Pretty sure that's doing him justice. If not, yeah. whatever. Fuck him. Who cares? We're gonna talk a lot about him. He's gonna get plenty of time. Suck it up, buddy. Um, like I said, <laughs> yeah, like he's an empiricist. I could trust him. Um, I learned, well, I'll get there, but yeah, I learned that that's maybe overselling it. and good things about Russell and his book. So I bought Durant's Story of Philosophy and then a couple few other histories of Western philosophy. And then I started to pick up primary sources to expand upon what I had left over from school. Pretty soon I had a lot of books to reference and I collected a few good podcasts and YouTube channels to help put those primary and secondary sources in further context. And now I would certainly no longer say to myself something like, yeah, he's an empiricist. I can trust him. (laughs) 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 funny how much you can learn and still miss nearly everything right like like, looking back to like the way that i understood some ideas during my philosophy minor is really funny now to like think how different i like see some of those words um yeah this is how i feel already about my philosophy minor which is already a hell of a lot more formal philosophy than your average joe gets so everyone strap in it's gonna get deep up in here (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's uh it's yeah it's lucky actually that i have russell as a reference and a good idea of the ways in which i disagree with him uh it's also lucky that i picked up his book because it led me to durant's book see even just the preface of the story of philosophy had a big impact on me and on this podcast i read it at a point when i was feeling discouraged about the validity of the approachable philosophy i had in mind and in my ability to do justice to the story Uh, right off the bat durant gives a defense of what he calls outlines and i love this the outlines came because a million voices called for them human knowledge had become unmanageably vast every science had begotten a dozen more each subtler than the rest. The telescope revealed stars and systems beyond the mind of man to number or to name. 
Geology spoke in terms of millions of years, where men before had thought in terms of thousands. Physics found a universe in the atom, and biology found a microcosm in the cell. Physiology discovered inexhaustible mystery in every organ, and psychology in every dream. Anthropology reconstructed the unsuspected antiquity of man. Archaeology unearthed buried cities and forgotten states. History proved all history false, and painted a canvas which only a Spangler or an Edward Meyer could vision as a whole. Theology crumbled, and political theory cracked. Invention complicated life and war, and economic creeds overturned governments and inflamed the world. Philosophy itself, which had once summoned all sciences to its aid in making a coherent image of the world and an alluring picture of the good, found its task of coordination too stupendous for its courage, ran away from all these battlefronts of truth and hid itself in recondite and narrow lanes, D. timidly secure from the issues and responsibilities of life. Human knowledge had become too great for the human mind. All that remained was the scientific specialist who knew more and more about less and less, and the philosophical speculator who knew less and less about more and more. The specialist put on blinders in order to shut out his vision from all the world but one little spot to which he glued his nose. Perspective was lost. Facts replaced understanding and knowledge split into a thousand isolated fragments no longer generated wisdom. Every science and every branch of philosophy developed a technical terminology intelligible only to its exclusive devotees. As men learned more about the world, they found themselves ever less capable of expressing to their educated fellow men what it was that they had learned. The common man found himself forced to choose between a scientific priesthood mumbling unintelligible pessimism and a theological priesthood mumbling incredible hopes. In this situation, the function of the professional teacher was clear. It should have been to mediate between the specialist and the nation, to learn the specialist's language as the specialist had learned nature's, in order to break down the barriers between knowledge and need, and find for new truths old terms that all literate people might understand. Uh, Durant goes on to assert that the first outlines, the first efforts at the humanization of knowledge were Plato's dialogues. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm a big fan of that quote. That like, Yeah, mm, I can tell that that really good. impacted the shape of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, turned my whole shit around. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a really popular thing that literally like, was doing what I thought I was doing and helped me understand what I should think I should be doing. Yeah. Mm. It was also it also sounded pretty hot. It was just yeah, like it was a, a hot sexy? statement. <laughs> he yeah, turned a pretty on sexy statement. Yeah, yeah. I got a little. It was a good declaration. I got a little yeah. sweaty myself, actually. Woo. <clears throat> Damn, Durant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's kind of so like Durant is easily at least as problematic as Bertrand Russell is, but in like a very different <laughs> way. He's very like it's flowery. It's very like he like really buys into the narrative, right? The idea is that like this was written as like a, a pop piece, right? It's an outline. It's supposed to be accessible. It's written like literature more so than, than like philosophy. Whereas like this fucker, we'll get into this, but th- this one's like mm, philosophy. <laughs> Which was that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, this the Bertrand? No, no, no. No, Bertrand Russell's over here. Ber- Bertrand Russell's full of shit, actually. Bertrand Russell's is the most... <laughs> Bertrand Russell's is like the least honest and least fair of all of the books. <laughs> no, no. This one is written by a Jesuit priest named Frederick Copleston, and it's probably the most fair. <clears throat> a history of philosophy. We'll get there. Yeah, it's actually incredible. I love... I'm like all about it. It's very good. 
baffling to find it's it's really interesting to find that like the mathematician wrote a book that like is very biased and doesn't show its hand the the priest tried to write a book that was as unbiased as possible and shows its hand as as like regularly as possible so you know exactly where he is biased like it's 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 yeah i don't know yeah that's interesting it's Hmm. yeah it's it's less biased and it like calls itself out when it is biased bertrand russell Hmm. is very biased and just plays it straight like he's correct (laughs) so that that quote you what you uh read from um durant uh durant he he seems to lay out and i guess that was i could look at your little tag there that's pretty early on in the book so does he do a good job of trying to dude that's not even that's how to bridge that gap so i i i I'd, I'd like his his story is like kind of a, a believer's take on Western civilization, right? Like it's 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 not as like metacritical of itself as mm. some of the other like resources, right? Like like these these books right here are literally like just meta examination and none history. Like they're talking about history without ever like talking history facts, right? It's like uninterested in the facts and just in the like experience and in like what things mean. The story of philosophy is like an awkward mix of like, it definitely is, it's like trying to tell the facts in a way that believes them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it also is trying to do so in a way that's like very artful, right? It's like trying to be, it's trying to be uh, like literature. It's not for, it's not, it's not for studying philosophy. It's for like learning about like all of the, popular philosophers i see yeah. i see so you're gonna do a better job of of his project than, yeah i like yeah, so yeah. so the other thing too so the book was written like 20 years before that preface so that what i read that's like the second page that's from the preface like that's literally oh. like where does that shit start that's the second paragraph of the book <laughs> that's literally the only thing you missed <laughs> was the was like paragraph before about how the editor or the yeah the editors asked him to to make a preface for this edition so he wrote that preface. Yeah, and it's him trying to sort of explain what he was doing when mm-hmm. he wrote the book the first time. Yeah, and it's the second ed- yeah, second edition. But yeah, I like the the book is okay. The preface is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny though. It's like uh that reminds me of what you just literally did for this. Like you did the first episode, you did the the preface, you did the intro, and you did read it again and just Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yo, okay, so here's my my like my I should talk about like my actual strategy has been to read things in parallel, right? I I don't know if I talked about that last time because I wasn't really doing it that way. But what I what I'm trying to do is acquire a bunch of different tellings of the same history and read them at the same time. So I want to get I want to get Durant's Plato and Copleston's Plato and like and uh, Russell's Plato and uh, like all right these are these are these are actually like these ones at the bottom are actually kind of like textbooks more so the other ones are, are well this is a textbook as well but but i'm trying to read the same part of each of them at the same time right mm-hmm. um so like yeah try, trying to like tie those things all in together has been really interesting but what happened is i first i read all the prefaces right <laughs> like i read the preface to all of these and they're all talking about what their project is and why they organize it the way they do and like why they lay out the story the way they do. Like they, a lot of them take really different approaches. Like which one is it? One of these, one of these is like barely even following the historical record. One of these picks like a totally different through line. Like most of them are chronological, right? Like this goes in, in the history, this goes in the history. These, these do like with the history, but the other one is like, Oh, we're going to talk about concepts and we're going to follow the, the idea, follow the ideas like concept first 
with less interest in like when things happened. Mm-hmm. It's like interesting. There's lots of different ways to try to like understand the history of philosophy, right? And like the way that you approach it is going to color the way that you understand it. So what I'm trying to do is like not commit to any one way. I'm trying to like do it all of the ways at once, stay as meta as possible, read as many different disagreeing things as, as possible and like talk about that, that uh, dialogue, right? So, oh man, this is the other thing. So defining terms is like, is a, a a funny thing, right? It's like hard hard to do, even in the best case scenario. Uh, the words for like schools of thought are the worst case scenario, right? Like like try to define existentialism. You can't. Existentialism is the disagreement between like four people. Like <laughs> there's no there is no like you can't say this is what existentialism believes. You can say this is the argument between four people over three decades that's existentialism right like there is no there is no such thing in the middle mm. that word describes a process and a, a like a discourse a discussion and like that's true for a lot of philosophy words so to try to even put existentialism into a definition is kind of like not doing it justice right yeah um yeah. so the, yeah there's a complicated meta problem and you have identified, Matt, yes, that I'm doing my best to, <laughs> to do a better job of what Durant said he was going to do. <laughs> doing it in, the, doing it in the, like, the, the weird meta way I know how. This conversation went on for a good long time, and I'm going to break it here to spare the ear and spoil the catalog. This has been Austin's Quirky Critical Philosophy 101, Part 2 of Episode 0 of Ergo Sum, an amateur's review of philosophy. Tune in next week for Ideas and Shower Thoughts, Part 3 of Episode 0 of Ergo Sum, an amateur's review of philosophy. After all is said and done, I think more has been said than done, but it's been a pleasure as always. I'd like to thank French Cassettes for the use of their Seahorse EP for our intro and outro music. They've put out a lot more music since then, and it's all absolutely fantastic. Go check them out at fullfrenchy.com. That's F-U-L-L-F-R-E-N-C-H-Y dot com. And then I'd also like to thank U.S. Game Systems for the use of their Smithweight Tarot Mark for our cover art. Last but not least, I want to thank all my dads at New Dawn Collective for their support and encouragement. Find us on all your social media under the name ErgoSoom Podcast. If you'd like to help cover hosting fees, technical upgrades, or the small costs associated with research, you can find us at patreon.com slash ErgoSoomPodcast. Lastly, feel free to email us at ErgoSoomPodcast at gmail.com if you have questions, comments, or corrections. One of these days, I'll eventually have ErgoSoomPodcast.com set up. Feel free to check my progress. Thanks much. Catch you all next time.
were getting like teen magazines shipped to Matt for a while? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Yo, that's hilarious. Did you prank him? Did you prank him? Is that what happened? Uh, wait. Yeah, I'm sure you remember better than I do, Nicola. Uh, I don't remember. I mean, it's it's not a very funny joke anymore as we get older, but the joke used to be that <laughs> <laughs> when we were in school. Always was, funny. Yeah. It's always funny. You know how it started out? I just remembered. At first, we just started um, Urban Outfitters, like, like did a number yeah. on their advertising, and they started putting really, like, kind of sexy ads. And we started slipping all the, like, the Urban Outfitters ads under Matt's door, <laughs> I think. It's not that... <laughs> I came home from class one time, and there was a very nubile, scantily clad woman for Urban or something like that, Forever 21, magazine spread open on my desk. So I was like, <laughs> this ad face up on my desk. I was like, oh, I guess this is for I me. I have to edit this out, don't I? <laughs> yeah. Oops. Nah. Yeah. Nah. Probably. Vocabulary. Vocabulary. Yeah. Vocabulary. What? Oh, vocabulary. Um, Define nubile. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> 